Indiana's COVID cases have been climbing with new rules now in place for Indiana schools. But will we see any further restrictions or mask mandates? We ask Indianapolis Mayor Joe Hogsett, plus Congressman Jim Baird and Congressman Andre Carson on the situation in Afghanistan and Governor Holcomb on the state's plan to house Afghan refugees at Camp Atterbury. All that plus the potential Indiana impact of the Supreme Court's decision not to overturn a six-week abortion ban in Texas. It's all ahead this Sunday in Focus. Good morning. It's the Labor Day weekend, and health officials are warning people to use caution with Indiana's COVID numbers still climbing in recent weeks, reaching what we all hope is the start of a plateau here in our numbers. There's also new guidance for Indiana schools this week. Our Melissa Crash has more. If you wear a mask and follow the rules, you can stay in school. That's the message from Governor Holcomb's latest executive order, and the Brownsburg Community School Corporation was quick to respond. I think that the families who sent their kids back to school today are, are very happy that they can come back and learn. This flow chart breaks it down. Schools and daycares that have mask requirements do not have to quarantine students, teachers and staff who are close contacts and aren't showing symptoms of COVID-19. It also states they must continue to contact trace. This is really the safest thing for your child uh, is really to wear a mask. Dr. John Kunzer is with Community Health Network. Community sent a letter to more than 150 superintendents outlining why universal mask usage is the smart thing to do. Those less than age 12 aren't vaccinated and so really are at increased risk of exposure. And the old school thinking was, is, oh, kids don't get sick uh, with the uh, coronavirus. But with this new Delta variant, we have seen uh, more kids getting sick and being exposed and needing to be hospitalized. Dr. Kunzer believes this will help stop the spread and local schools are taking notice. Since Noblesville, Muncie and Avon community schools already mandated masks, they were able to update their protocols quickly. Kids need it for their social, emotional, um, you know, development uh, and of course the education uh, as well. And that's where the, the masks help us uh, ensure kids can stay in school. Everybody's doing their best to comply to keep everyone safe. And that was Melissa Crash reporting. Also today we have reaction from state health officials as the Delta variant surges. Indiana schools have dealt with more positive cases and more students who need to get tested. Our team coverage continues now with State House reporter Kristen Eskow. Dozens of cars lined up in Lawrence Township Monday for COVID-19 vaccinations and testing. But instead of a pharmacy or medical facility, this clinic is being run at the school administration building. High schooler Natalia Tinajero just got vaccinated. I've been wanting to get it for a while, but we just hadn't had time. Five seconds in each nostril, okay? Many others are here to get tested. It's magnificent. I mean, it is a long line, but I mean, they got the people to do it. This clinic is run by the Indiana Department of Health, which is offering help with testing on school grounds. Some other school districts are offering testing every day on site for students and staff. One of those is Mount Vernon, which hired an extra nurse to help. For us, it's simple. It's all about returning kids to in-person learning as quickly as we possibly can. The Indiana Department of Health estimates about 10% of schools statewide are offering testing, and officials say they want to see that number go up. These rapid tests can quickly assess whether a student's symptoms are COVID or not, and this can help reduce the quarantine and keep our children in school when they're healthy enough to be there. From the Indiana State House, I'm Kristen Escow. 
Kristen, thank you so much. This week we also heard from Indianapolis Mayor Joe Hogsett. We had a chance to ask him whether he and local health officials in Indianapolis were considering any new restrictions. Obviously, uh, our ICU beds uh, and our hospital capacities are being compromised. And so um, no decisions have been made about uh, uh, further restrictions. But we, if, if the numbers keep going up, we may not have a choice. Marion County hasn't had a mask mandate since June. At that time, the positivity rate was below 5%. Well, as the mayor mentioned there, it's been a difficult time for hospitals around the area. Some have even had to divert patients from the emergency rooms because of the increased hospitalizations. Our Mike Sullivan has more on that today. Obviously, it's stressful. We can't let our patients see that stress. Hospitals are becoming overwhelmed. Back in the first week of June, about one in 50 of our beds was COVID patients. At times, pushed beyond capacity. Today, it's about one in eight. When hospitals hit that max, they can go into what's called diversion. Diversion status changes from, honestly, from hour to hour. Giving those facilities a break in ambulance traffic. Every day for the past month, Bargersville Fire EMS Lieutenant Lynn Goodner has seen as many as four to five indie hospitals on diversion at a time. Like Methodist Hospital and Eskenazi, the large hospitals or St. Vincent's. If those hospitals are on diversion, there are simply very few places we can go. Patients on trauma calls will generally still be seen quickly, however others. We're waiting in an ER for 45 minutes sometimes to be able to get a bed for someone. There is even a chance a trauma patient may be put in line. It depends, but they can, yes, um, if their pain is managed. This is the new reality for EMS first responders and hospitals. If this keeps on going, we won't have enough beds to take care of common stuff like broken bones and heart attacks and strokes. And a lot of times that may be end up going someplace further than we would necessarily travel. The problem isn't only in Indianapolis. In fact, it can be even more impactful for rural hospitals. So if a county hospital goes on diversion, then you have to take everyone outside of the county putting first responders in a constant scramble. In Indianapolis, I'm Mike Sullivan, Fox 59 News. All right, meantime, state officials say they'll also be performing COVID tests on the many Afghan refugees who've come here to Indiana and also to several other military bases around the country. We have some pictures here of their arrival here in Indiana this past week. Our Russ McQuaid spoke with Governor Eric Holcomb. Inside Camp Atterbury today, barracks, dorms, food service units, and medical buildings are being prepared for the anticipated evacuees. We do not want to put any pressure on Johnson County Hospital or any other hospital in the area, uh, and we're uh, taking uh, measures to stop or to prevent that through contracting regionally to bring medical equipment to Camp Atterbury, such as the necessary x-ray machines for TB discovery, the necessary equipment to do the medical screening processes. That includes COVID screening and vaccinations for polio and measles, just as any other visa holder would need to enter the U.S., and a vetting process to make sure the evacuees don't pose a danger once they arrive here. The four-step process starts in Kabul with the right credentials to get on the plane, then it goes into Europe or the Middle East, a very robust uh, vetting process. Then once they land in the United States, again, it's hit again, then it's hit again at Camp Atterbury. And so we absolutely know who they are. 800 soldiers from Fort Hood, including military police, have started arriving at Camp Atterbury as security is heightened 
which is a relief to the sheriff of Johnson County. They are going to handle everything inside of Camp Atterbury. They are bringing the right folks to the table, the federal authorities, uh, military police, and we're going to continue to do our job outside of that gate and ensure that the people of Johnson County stay safe. Governor Holcomb asks all Hoosiers to be respectful of these likely traumatized visitors to Indiana from a faraway land. These are the same folks who for decades have assisted and aided us in on a very dangerous terrain. People who worry about waking up tomorrow. The governor says each evacuee will spend a minimum of 14 days at Camp Atterbury going through medical and other vetting processes before being shipped out to their eventual locations, though some may decide to stay in Indiana. At Camp Atterbury, Russ McQuaid. Russ, thanks so much. We're also hearing from some members of our congressional delegation about the situation in Afghanistan and the official end of the war this past week, with the last American military members evacuating the airport just ahead of that August 31st deadline. But there's still concern about other American civilians, about 100 or 200 of them, who are still there in Afghanistan. You know, the motto among uh, soldiers is that we leave no one behind. And I think that applies to the civilians. And so my take on all of this is that we need to make sure we get our citizens out, we get our allies out. We've lost countless people in the conflict. You know, generations of Americans uh, who have fought in Afghanistan. And we cannot keep our brave Americans and Hoosiers in uniforms mired in endless wars. This week, Republican Congressman Jim Banks said because of Joe Biden's incompetence, $85 billion in weapons and military equipment has been seized by the Taliban. In his words, he says it's sickening to think those weapons could be used by terrorists to carry out attacks against Americans or our allies. Well, coming up next this Sunday in Focus, talking about the Indiana impact of the six-week abortion ban in Texas. Could we see similar legislation here? We'll talk with our panel. And later, the Indianapolis City County Council addresses the mayor's budget and the plans to fight violent crime. Stick around. The Supreme Court will allow a new and very controversial abortion law to go through in Texas, banning abortions if a heartbeat is detectable, typically around the six-week mark. A lot of reaction around the country on both sides. In a statement, Indiana House Speaker Todd Houston said, we're closely watching what's happening in Texas in regards to their new pro-life law, including any legal challenges. He says Indiana is one of the most pro-life states in the country, in his words, and will continue to examine ways to further protect life at all stages. I'm joined now by our panel, Rima Shahid, Mike Murphy, Laura Wilson, Tony Samuel. Let's start with Rima Shahid from Women for Change, Indiana. Rima, legislative leaders have also said they don't plan to address any other bills in this upcoming redistricting session this month, but we may very well see abortion bills like this put forward come January. How do you see this debate playing out here in Indiana in the coming months? Well, it was earlier this week that uh, Representative Liz Brown did share her intentions of altering a similar bill here in Indiana, like the one we saw in Texas. And Women for Change, we stand for women's bodily autonomy and women to have economic stability and the right to make economic and personal decisions for themselves. And I think it's unfortunate that we're spending time on these issues and, and involving the government in personal matters when they really shouldn't be. Now, let's turn to former GOP lawmaker Mike Murphy. You served in the General Assembly. Mike, do you expect that we'll see, indeed, legislation like this here in the Hoosier State next session? And how difficult an issue will this be for the legislature with potential legal challenges looming? 
Well, I think I would be shocked actually if it did not show up in January. Um, as Speaker Houston said, it's we're one of the most pro-life states in the country, very polarized. It's very difficult, if not impossible, to be a member of the Democratic Party and be pro-life. And so it's really come down to Republican versus Democrat. Um, we could see anything from uh, emotion to walkouts to lawsuits over this. It'll, it'll be a big, big issue and uh, obviously ends up in the federal courts at some point. I'm going to bring in UND political science professor, Dr. Laura Wilson. Laura, is there some political risk to this for Republicans? And conversely, you have Democrats looking to codify Roe v. Wade in the House. It seems like this could turn into a, a very big issue ahead of the midterms next year. Very clearly, this is taking one state law and pushing it to the boundaries, like pushing it to the margins. There, there hasn't been a challenge like this to Roe versus Wade since its inception. Uh, and yet we've seen Mississippi, certainly here in Indiana, a number of different state legislatures really pushing back and challenging the question of legality of abortion. I have no doubt that, as Mike said, this would be a, a topic in Indiana, regardless of what others might think, and and also bring it again to the national uh, the national stage and spotlight the question of not just what should be allowed in one particular state, but what we as a country really see in our future for this policy. And let's turn it finally here to Tony Samuel, 2016 vice chair for the Indiana Trump campaign. Tony, we haven't heard much yet from Governor Holcomb on this. We have seen Attorney General Todd Rokita very vocal on this issue in recent days, calling it a huge win for Texas and the pro-life movement. But he's lost a lot of court battles already in his time as AG, including the, the lawsuit over the governor's emergency powers. Would the state be headed for another long legal battle on this issue? Uh, I think so. I, I, I agree with what Mike said. Um, we're going to see a lot of uh, a lot of debate uh, could get heated and it could um, get in the way of, of other business. But it's something that Republicans will feel uh, they need to do. And uh, Todd Rokita will be on that side. I think Governor Holcomb will maybe stand back and, and wait and see. You might see some effort in this uh, redistricting session coming up here in mid-September for a couple of weeks on second reading amendments. Uh, but they won't go anywhere. They'll be ruled uh, not germane to uh, the redistricting bill. And then maybe that, that'll be used uh, in Republican primaries. We'll wait and see. Yeah, we'll see how it all plays out for sure. As we mentioned earlier, the governor holding a news briefing this week talking about the Afghan refugees now here in Indiana at Camp Atterbury. Rima, you had some very poignant, very personal reflections on the situation in Afghanistan a couple of weeks ago. Your, your reaction now to seeing these refugees here in the Hoosier state after everything they've been through in recent weeks. Yeah, like I shared last time, I am the proud granddaughter of, of Afghan refugees um, that, that resettled in Pakistan. So I am thrilled that they will be here in our great Hoosier state. And I applaud what the governor said, that these are folks that have assisted and supported and stood by the United States government. And it is our time to support them as they get resettled. And Kudos and congrats to the city of Edinburgh, which will now double its population. So how great for them. And, and they're going to bring great diverse richness to Indiana. And I really look forward to having them here. Mike, your thoughts on Indiana's role in all this and how the governor has handled this situation. It does potentially seem to paint a bit of a contrast with former Governor Pence's position on Syrian refugees a few years back. Well, every situation has its own uh, own elements, so I don't want to go back and judge Pence. But I will. I can tell you right now that I you can't uh, begin to appreciate how proud I am of Governor Holcomb for doing what he did. Um, the the great thing about Holcomb is he just does what's right and he lets the chips fall where they may, despite what I think is some pretty significant 
a potential for uh, a flashback from uh, some Republicans. Well, Laura, in the meantime, the, the situation in Afghanistan, Hurricane Ida, the Delta variant, jobs numbers that, that fell short of the mark, it's been a challenging week for the, for the Biden administration and the president's approval numbers have been reflecting that in recent weeks. They have. I think this is the first really big uh, week in terms of seeing that decline for the numbers. There have been a lot of challenges uh, to what he's been doing as a leader thus far that we've really seen rise. I, I understand, you know, when we look at these numbers, there's going to be ups and downs. And of course, there'll be averages as well. You can't change what's already happened, but certainly you can change your reactions going forward. And that's going to be the challenge of the, of the Biden administration is figuring out how they adjust, how they reflect and try to try to boost up those numbers again, get people excited about what they're doing and, and believing that they're making the right decisions through their administration. Tony, your response to that? And, and do you think we'll be hearing more from former President Trump down the road about a potential 2024 campaign sometime soon? Or do you think ultimately he'll decide against that? No, I think he, he'll be running. And I, I think it'll be uh, actually the timing probably sooner than than I originally thought, but I've always thought that he wants to run again. He should run again. Uh, the country needs him, uh, and and I think he'll be making that announcement sooner because this was a catastrophe, and this is all uh, on Joe Biden. The way that he handled this, uh, it was a terrible withdrawal. He tries to make the case that we needed to be out of Afghanistan. Nobody disagrees with that. We don't want our service members in a war. Uh, for 20 years, but it's the withdrawal that he made terrible decisions on. And one thing you don't hear in the national media enough uh, is that he had the experience from Iraq. In Iraq, the war ended, they declared an end to the war in 2011, but by 2014, ISIS was uh, spreading across the country and into Syria and defeating the Iraqi army and taking our weapons. The same thing happened in Iraq and Joe Biden was there as vice president. He should have known this. And I think he did know this. I think he lied to the American public. And now you've got $85 billion worth of uh, US uh, military equipment in the hands of the Taliban. And we're no better off than we were 20 years ago when we went off. We're actually worse off with uh, Americans held, uh, held behind enemy lines okay. with uh, Afghan girls being raped and, and forced into marriage with Taliban fighters, with interpreters and others that have helped the, the US military okay. over the 20 years. Uh, and then of course, the worst thing, the, the 13 service members yeah. Yeah. Uh, that were that were killed uh, a week ago. Uh, so it was just terribly mishandled by Joe Biden. Laura, will this continue to, to be a political liability for the president? Uh, do, do you see uh, many other crises uh, emerging in front of his desk here in, in the coming months, obviously, as we continue to fight this Delta variant right now. The unfortunate political reality is there are more than enough crises to occupy one mind. Uh, voters tend to have short memories, but for people for whom this really mattered, they're not going to forget it very easily. For people who felt directly impacted by this decision, uh, no doubt this this will be really catastrophic there. I, I do think, okay. you know, we talk about like an impact on midterms or things like that. Yeah. There's just so much that will happen before then. Right. In that regard, um, there are other opportunities. There are opportunities for challenges, there are opportunities for failures, but there are also opportunities for successes. And that's really going to be up to the Biden administration uh, to see how they handle a them. A lot going on all at once, no doubt. All right, coming up next this Sunday in Focus, the Indianapolis City County Council tackles the mayor's budget and the plans to fight violent crime.
IMPD presented its budget proposal to the City County Council's Public Safety and Criminal Justice Committee this week, with millions of dollars being proposed for IMPD to boost technology and hire more officers, money that's coming from the American Rescue Plan. Courtney Crown has more. The surging violent crime in Indy across the city is top of mind for the 2022 budget. IMPD is proposing nearly $265 million for the budget and an additional $28.5 million from the American Rescue Plan funding. That money will go toward 100 new officers and technology updates over the next three years. We're really looking at uh, what are the best uses of that money, how is it going to benefit the community as a whole. It's not for luxury items or anything like that. I mean, tech Technology is expensive, but um, I think uh, most people will find it very helpful. Deputy Chief Valerie Cunningham says the department essentially has a technology wish list that includes more community cameras, more license plate readers, and gunshot detection technology. Taylor says the department still has questions about this technology and will listen to the community's input. Concerns have been raised over the technology's cost and effectiveness. You know, that, that's something that uh, comes with some pros and cons. So before we invest any money in that, we'll certainly have a, uh, uh, a time to uh, really vet it, uh, kind of like what we did with body cameras. All right, that's Courtney Crown reporting. We're back to wrap things up right after this. Let's wrap up with this week's winners and losers. Mike. First of all, President Biden for moving to um, declassify 9-11 documents. And retired Lieutenant Colonel Scott Mann, who with his retired buddies, uh, saved 650 Afghan lives. Wow. Rima? A group of Muslim women in Texas that you will soon hear about that are planning on suing the state of Texas for infringing on their religious rights to having abortion. Tony? Losers, President Biden, for the decisions he's made here recently and, and since he's been president. But the winners are the American service members that did get so many people out of Afghanistan despite the, the bad situation. Laura? My losers are Bishop Sycamore. There's losing a football game and there's being duplicitous and dishonest. My winners are the Holcomb administration and just generally Indiana because we get an opportunity to show refugees Hoosier hospitality. All right, we'll leave it there. Thanks so much for joining us. We'll see you again next Sunday in Focus. Have a great Labor Day.